0: A number of you guys have been to our our home, and you know know, the layout of our our property. At the Moser House, when our kids go outside to play, we really have one main rule. Don't go in the front yard. Right? You kids know that. Don't go in the front yard. Now, the reason we have this rule is because even though the front yard in itself uh, would be a nice area to play in, at the edge of the front yard, there's a steep drop-off down to a busy street and not only that but while the front yard gives the appearance of being somewhat flat that drop off begins further into the yard than you would think and it would be all too easy to feel like you're in a safe place only to slip and fall into the road and so because we love our children and we want to protect them we have this rule we don't play in the front yard. As followers of Christ who still are in a war against our hearts' sinful inclinations, we face a similar situation. But for us, the steep drop-off at the edge of the yard is our own spiritual pride. The danger below is the danger of falling under God's judgment. This is not just an issue that some of us face. This is a danger that we are all prone to. After all, the New Testament calls us to humility around 40 times. Read between the lines, pride is a problem for us. But the good news this morning is that we have the protective instruction of Jesus. And Jesus is able to keep us from falling. You can open your Bibles to Matthew 23. Our passage is Matthew 23, verses 1 through 12. And it's important to see where this passage falls in the immediate context of Matthew. Last week we were in Matthew 22, and we saw the Pharisees' opposition to Jesus and their inability to recognize that He really is the Messiah. In the second half of Matthew 23, what we're going to see is, is Jesus pronouncing God's judgment on these Pharisees for their hypocritical religion and for not coming to him. So so we have their inability to recognize Jesus in their religion and then the judgment that Jesus pronounces on them. But before we get to the judgment in between these two sections, what we see in this morning's passage is that Jesus gives instructions to the crowds and to the disciples. It's in the context of the Pharisees' unbelief and the judgment that they face that we can see that Jesus' instructions here are meant to protect us from the pitfall of spiritual pride. These instructions are meant from the heart of Christ to call us away from the danger that these religious leaders of Israel have fallen into. He wants to call the crowds, those who would truly follow him, his own disciples, away from the danger of spiritual pride into the safety of following him. Listen to God's word this morning, Matthew 23, verses 1 through 12. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger." They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts, and the best seats in the synagogues, and greetings in the marketplaces, and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. This morning we're going to see three instructions, three protective instructions that Jesus gives to call us away from the pitfall of spiritual pride. Three instructions that Jesus gives to call us away from that pitfall and the danger that comes of divine judgment to the spiritually proud. Three instructions, just like we say, don't play in the front yard. Three instructions to keep us from that pitfall and that danger. The first instruction is this, don't follow the self-righteous. Don't follow the self-righteous. We see this in verses 1 through 7. His instructions begin this way in verses 2 and 3. He's speaking to the crowds and the disciples, those who... Hail him as the Messiah and those who truly are his disciples. And he says to them both, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. That is, they occupy the place of spiritual authority in Israel. They're the ones behind the pulpit, so to speak. They sit in Moses' seat. So, so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. Now, as we read that initially, it seems like Jesus is saying this. Listen to the Pharisees. Apply their teaching just don't imitate their lifestyle. That's what it sounds like Jesus is saying. Listen to their teaching, just don't follow their lifestyle. The only problem with that, however, is that nowhere else in the New Testament do we get a hint of Jesus saying, listen to the Pharisees' teaching. Nowhere else do we see Jesus ever commending the teaching of the scribes and Pharisees. In fact, he does just the opposite. Look back with me to Matthew 15. Just flip back in your Bible a few pages Matthew 15, here in the beginning of this chapter, when the Pharisees criticize Jesus' disciples for breaking with the tradition of the elders, Jesus specifically rebukes their teaching. Look at what Jesus says to them in Matthew 15, verses 4 through 6. For God commanded, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So, for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You see, there, he isn't just criticizing the way they live, he's specifically condemning the things they teach. And he punctuates that by quoting from Isaiah in verse 9 says, That you teach as doctrines the commandments of men. See, that's the Pharisees and scribes teaching. They teach as doctrines the commandments of men, and Jesus rebukes it, and Jesus condemns it. Turn 1 chapter 4 to Matthew 16. Jesus warns the disciples in verses 5 through 12 to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. What does Jesus mean by leaven? Well, verse 12 tells us what he means. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Again, it's not just their lifestyle to beware of, it's what they teach. With passages like these in mind, it's hard to imagine, back in Matthew 23, that Jesus is really saying, do and observe whatever they tell you. How could he be saying that after he has constantly warned about their teaching? What's going on in this? It, it seems contradictory, doesn't it? I believe what's going on is that Jesus is actually speaking sarcastically. Jesus is using irony. That might be hard for us to imagine at first. We tend to think of Jesus almost as a stoic personality, a stoic teacher. But Jesus spoke in a variety of ways in his teaching The sarcastic sense, the ironic sense of what he's saying, I think comes through a little more clearly in the New American Standard Bible translation. Listen to how the NASB translates verse 2. The scribes and Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. The scribes and Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. that's That's the most literal rendering of that verbal tense. They've seated themselves there. This captures the tone of Jesus better. He isn't acknowledging their spiritual authority. He isn't saying that they actually have this. He's, he's exposing that they've assumed this spiritual authority for themselves. They've taken it and they've put themselves there. And if that's the case, then his instruction, do whatever they tell you, is obviously meant as a tongue-in-cheek sort of instruction. This would be like me saying to you today, Joel Osteen's on TV. Joel Osteen preaches every Sunday. Listen to him. Jesus isn't acknowledging value in the scribes and Pharisees' teaching. He's publicly calling them out as hypocrites. And his warning is very simple. Don't follow them. Don't follow them. Now this would have been shocking to the crowds. The scribes were like today's seminary professors. The Pharisees were the ones who pursued holiness with the utmost discipline. We tend to think of them as the bad guys because of how trained we are in understanding the New Testament and their place in it. But in their day and age, they were the leaders. They were the spiritual authorities. Their authority was unquestioned in Israel. And so Jesus goes on to give reasons for this instruction in verses four through seven. Listen, there's two things about the scribes and Pharisees that Jesus points out to to help them see you should not follow these people. First, he says they are all law and no grace. They're all law and And no grace. Look at verse 4. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. Here's what he means when he says that they tie up heavy burdens and lay them on people's shoulders. He's saying their preaching, their teaching, consists entirely of precepts to be followed, of laws and regulations and traditions to be kept. This preaching of the law was a heavy burden on the people. They couldn't do it. They couldn't ever be good enough. But what's worse is that they taught this law, they laid this burden on the people, but then they didn't follow up that preaching of the law with the encouragement of grace. They themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. He's not saying that they don't try to keep the law. We know they did. They were zealous to keep the law. He's saying they don't try to help others as they lay that burden. They don't don't move toward them. They refused to help people as they struggled under that law. They refused to bring them the encouragement of grace and the help of compassion. They had no compassion for sinners. They had no place for grace and encouragement when people collapsed under the heavy burden that was laid on them in the law and in their traditions. This is a total contrast to Jesus who said to the crowds in Matthew 11, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light, and you will have rest for your souls. Jesus is a good shepherd who gets under the yoke of the law with us. He provides the rest of grace to those who follow him. But the scribes and Pharisees are just the opposite they're all law and no grace. He says, don't follow people like that. The second reason the crowd shouldn't follow them is that they're all about themselves. They're all law and they're no grace and they're all about themselves. Look at verses 5 through 7. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. They love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. All their religion, Jesus says, all of their external deeds is for the purpose of being seen by others. They would wear what was called a phylactery, which was like a box, like a, a cloth box that included scripture verses on the inside of it. And Jesus says they made them broad, which of course gave the impression that they had more scripture verses on the inside of them, that they were more devout, more holy. Likewise, they made their tassels long. The tassel was a symbol in the Old Testament of God's commandments. As you walked and saw the tassel at the end of your cloak uh, moving back and forth, it would remind you of God's commandments, but theirs were extra long. They made them extra long, which of course showed people, we are serious about God's law. Now, we don't have phylacteries and tassels today, but do you know what we do have? We have social media. Listen, while it's not sinful to post spiritual content on Facebook or Instagram, what an opportunity there is in social media for spiritual pride. What an opportunity there is to be seen by others as someone who is a serious-minded follower of Jesus. If we're not careful, we might find that we are falling into the same trap as the scribes and Pharisees. And why did they do these things? Why would we do these things? Jesus says it was because they love recognition. They love to be the guest of honor. They love to be the ones in front of people. They love to be recognized as spiritually influential. They love it when someone likes their post or shares their post with their Bible and their coffee. Jesus says to us, they don't follow people like this. Don't follow so-called spiritual leaders who are actually self-righteous and self-serving because if you do, you'll fall under the same judgment that they face. Now that's not a flattering picture of them, is it? And before we move on, it's worth asking the question, why would we follow people like this? Why do we follow people like this? In light of his words, it would seem obvious that we shouldn't attach ourselves to self-righteous, self-serving spiritual leaders, and yet so many do. Why is that? why would we fall prey to that? And here's why. Because systems of self-righteousness satisfy our spiritual pride. Systems of self-righteousness satisfy our spiritual pride because we love to be seen by others. We love to be praised by others. We feel better about ourselves when the things that we do are seen and esteemed by others. That's our hearts. We feel better about ourselves when the things that we do are seen by others and they're esteemed by others. We like that. We're drawn to following self-righteous leaders because we want what they have. We crave the praise of man. The church, remember this morning what Jesus said in Matthew 6. They have received their reward. The self-righteous may receive praise from man in this life, but that is all they will receive. And once this life is over, they will receive eternal judgment from the Lord, and so will all who follow them. I want to make this first instruction this morning specific to us in application and warn against two types of teaching that I believe we need to watch out for at Redeemer. Two different types of teaching that I believe we could be susceptible to. First, don't follow systems that emphasize self-esteem, and self-sufficiency. Don't follow systems that emphasize self-esteem and self-sufficiency. These are nothing more than a modern, secular system of self-righteousness. Any system, any teaching, any book, anything that continually calls you to believe that you are enough, and that you have inner strength, and that doing certain things is the key to you finding fulfillment and happiness, any system like that is a system that leads you away from Christ. You are not enough. You don't have inner strength. Fulfillment and happiness will not come by you doing such and such. Only Christ is sufficient. Only Christ can give you true strength. Only Christ can bring you true fulfillment. So run away from any system that emphasizes self-esteem and self-sufficiency. And they're everywhere. Watch out for those. Second, don't follow teachers or ministries that have a condescending tone toward other teachers or ministries. Church, I want you to picture me right now waving a big red flag, okay? I wish I had one. I don't. The world of Christian podcasts, the world of articles, what's online, this is a dangerous world for us. There are ministries out there that we may be theologically like-minded with, but the tone of these ministries is unloving and ungracious toward other Christians. Don't be fooled if they appeal to the importance of truth We need to stand for the truth. Yes, truth, but truth and love must always go together. Any system that speaks in a derogatory way of another Christian, another church, another ministry that's condescending or that's triumphalist about their own position, any of those, I want to appeal to you to run away from those. Get away from those ministries. Get away from those teachers that have a condescending tone. They will feed your spiritual pride and lead you away from Christ. They're an outlet for self-righteousness. This is the first instruction we need to heed this morning. Don't follow the self-righteous. There's danger there. Second, don't forget your true shepherd. Don't forget your true shepherd, verses 8 through 10. The Pharisees and scribes loved it when people called them rabbi. But Jesus calls his followers away from that sort of spiritual elitism. Verses 8 through 10, you are not to be called rabbi. For you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. Now, again, when we first read this, it seems like Jesus is prohibiting his followers from using any title to designate someone as a spiritual authority. Don't be called rabbi. Don't call anyone your father. Don't be called an instructor. So what Jesus is doing is he's saying, don't use titles to designate spiritual authority. He's saying we should never use titles like that in church. The problem with that is that the New Testament church clearly did use titles to designate spiritual authority. It included elders and apostles and prophets and evangelists and deacons and pastor teachers. Paul even referred to himself as the spiritual Father of those he led to Christ. So we need to understand that Jesus' teaching here was not taken by the disciples in an absolutely literal way, where they stopped using all titles whatsoever. Jesus' instructions here aren't meant to prohibit spiritual authority and titles for spiritual authority, as much as they are putting spiritual authority in its proper place, in its proper perspective. Being called rabbi must not lead you to presume that you're better than your brothers. Calling someone father must not cause you to forget that you have one father in heaven. Being called instructor must not obscure the fact that Jesus Christ is the one we are truly learning from and following. To use Joey as an example, the point of these instructions isn't so much to determine if we should call Joey Pastor Joey or Brother Joey or just Joey. Any one of those is fine. The point of these instructions is to remind us in light of our temptation to spiritual pride that none of us are spiritually elite and that all of us are equally in need of our one shepherd, Jesus Christ. That's the emphasis. One place where we see the heart of Jesus' teaching coming out is in 1 Peter chapter 5. I want you to turn there with me because there's a few things that we can see in 1 Peter 5. Remember, this is the same Peter that Jesus said would be the rock on which he would build his church. This is the same Peter who became the leader of the apostles during the days leading up to Pentecost. This is the same Peter who stood up and, and birthed the early church through his sermon. But in 1 Peter 5.1... When he addresses the elders he's writing to, he says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder, not as an apostle, not as your authority. No, Peter says, I exhort you as someone who shares in your ministry. He doesn't write as someone who's above them, he writes as someone who is in it with them, as a fellow elder then just a few verses later after giving them some instructions for their ministry he draws their attention to the one who really matters he says in verse 4 when the chief shepherd appears you will receive the unfading crown of glory by using this terminology of the chief shepherd Peter's reminding the elders and the whole church that the elders are merely under shepherds They're, they're stewards of Christ's shepherd and Jesus is the head of his church Jesus is the chief shepherd of his flock and then Even more in verse 5, we see how this is fleshed out in the dynamics of church life. He says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. In that instruction, we do see on the one hand that spiritual authority has its place. The church has elders, those elders should be followed. But at the same time, it's not just the church members who must have humility toward its elders. Peter says, All of you must be clothed with humility toward one another. What this means is that there's no place for spiritual pride in the dynamics of pastor-member relationships. There's no place for spiritual pride on those who have authority and those who don't. Spiritual leadership is a stewardship of God's grace, not a symbol of spiritual superiority. We're all brothers with one Father in heaven, one chief shepherd over us, his Son and our Lord Jesus Christ. We're all sheep and he's our shepherd. Whether you're a church leader or a church member, run away from the pitfall of spiritual pride by remembering that Jesus is our true shepherd. Don't attach yourselves to any one person and don't think that you are above anyone else. Don't follow the self righteous. Don't forget your true shepherd. And finally, don't forsake the way of servanthood. Don't forsake the way of servanthood. Jesus closes his instructions by returning to a teaching that the disciples have heard before in verses 11 and 12. You you kids ever had your parents say something to you more than once? Yes. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. The scribes and Pharisees exalted themselves. They seated themselves in Moses' seat. They made their phylacteries broad and their tassels long in order to be praised by others. And because they exalted themselves, Jesus says in their spiritual pride, they're going to be humbled under the hand of God's judgment. And that's where he goes to in the next section of this chapter. But Jesus says that there's a better way, a different way, than self-exaltation. The one who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself and becomes a servant will be exalted to the joy of life in God's kingdom. You see, the way of servanthood doesn't run along the edge of the pitfall of spiritual pride. The way of servanthood is not a path right along the edge where you might fall into spiritual pride. When our children are playing in the backyard, we don't need to worry about the front yard. And likewise, when we truly humble ourselves before the Lord and embrace the way of servanthood, we cut off spiritual pride at its root. Spiritual pride and servanthood do not coexist. Now, of course, there's a worldly way. There is a worldly way of embracing servanthood that has no power against pride. This is evident by how many secular books there are today that have embraced and teach what's called servant leadership. Many secular books talk about servant leadership. Many secular leaders have discovered get this, they've discovered that those under their authority are more responsive to a boss who works with them. And who demonstrates care for them than for a boss that threatens them and from an ivory tower? It's like, wow. Most of us say, well, of course they do. That's no secret. Here's the problem secular servant leadership is still rooted in self sufficiency and selfish ambition. Serving others in your own strength and for your own ends is not what Jesus calls us to. He's not saying become a servant to give what you want, that's, that's still spiritual pride. What Jesus calls us to is a servanthood that stems from humility. The one who humbles himself and becomes a servant. The only thing that humbles the heart for this kind of servanthood is the servanthood of Christ himself. Any true form of servant leadership must be springing from a vision of Christ himself as our ultimate servant. I mentioned that the disciples have heard this teaching before. Back in Matthew 20, verses 26 to 28, here's what Jesus said. He explicitly connected his call to servanthood with his mission of servanthood. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So I consider this morning the servanthood of Jesus. First, I want you to consider the greatness that Jesus left behind. The greatness that Jesus left behind, even as the Son of Man came. Even as the Son of Man came. When Jesus says that he came, he doesn't mean that he came from Galilee to Jerusalem. He means that he came from heaven to earth. He means that he came from the glory of life with his Father in heaven to the brokenness of life with us sinners here. Jesus came from the position of ultimate authority over all things, and he became a part of his creation. The Son of Man came. Second, consider the posture that Jesus assumed, not to be served, but to serve. He wasn't born in a castle. He was born in a manger. He didn't grow up in Jerusalem. He grew up in Nazareth. He wasn't trained by an influential rabbi, he was trained by a carpenter. He didn't enjoy a life of luxury, he embraced a life of poverty. When Jesus came, he didn't assume a position of exaltation, he took on the posture of a servant. Why? Well, consider the mission that Jesus came to accomplish, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus left heaven and became a servant because he had a mission, and that mission was to save sinners like you and me. He came to die on the cross as a substitute for those who deserve to die. He came to bear the punishment that sin deserves so that those who place their trust in him will never have to bear that punishment. He came to give his life for ours so that through his death and resurrection we can be forgiven and be exalted to eternal life with him. The Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Church, spiritual pride cannot live when the eyes of our hearts are fixed on the one who died for us. Spiritual pride cannot live when the eyes of our hearts are fixed on the one who died for us. There's no place for spiritual pride when we grasp that our sin required the sacrificial death of the Son of God. This is why we sing the words, When I survey the wondrous cross, when I see it, When I survey, when I look at the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Spiritual pride dies at the cross. And all that remains is a heart that says to Christ, I want to live for you, I want to honor you, I want to love you, and I want to serve you. And in reply, we hear Jesus say, then walk on this same path. Serve me by embracing the way of servanthood. Love me by living out the pattern of my cross. And so, Redeemer, this is Christ's call to us this morning. Serve one another because he has served us. Make it practical. When you take someone a meal, remember that Christ gave himself as the bread of life. When you help keep children in the nursery, remember that Christ brought us into the family of God. When you sit and pray for someone else in the body, remember that Christ intercedes for us. When you seek to encourage another believer who's struggling, remember that Christ came in compassion to teach us and to heal us. And in those moments when you are sacrificially serving someone and you're receiving no thanks, you're receiving no praise, you're receiving no acclamation, remember that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Listen this morning to Christ's protective instructions to keep us from the pitfall of spiritual pride. Don't follow the self-righteous. Follow the righteous one who took our unrighteousness and gives us the gift of his perfect righteousness. Don't forget him. Don't forget your true shepherd. He is the good shepherd who laid down his life for us and we are all his sheep, every one of us. And church, let's not forsake the way of servanthood. Humble yourself before the cross and walk on that same path until the day when God exalts us in his kingdom forever. As we listen to the protective instruction of Jesus, he will keep us from the danger of spiritual pride.